0: After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon." The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. This is the gospel of Christ.
1: Thanks, Miriam, very much indeed. Uh, friends, it's lovely to be with you. Let me add my uh, welcome uh, to Jay's. I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. I'm not going to wrap. Uh, but uh, it is great to be with you. Let's pray that uh, the Lord uh, speaks, even not through a rap. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who speaks, and so we praise you that you've called us into your presence. Thank you that we've uh, been able to confess our sins, uh, to sing your praises, to pray knowing you've heard what we've uh, asked, and we now ask, speak to us, speak into the hearts of each one of us, show us Jesus, that we might love him more and serve him more faithfully, full of joy. For his glory's sake we ask. Amen. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of reading the Bible and seeing something about Jesus that you didn't expect. Or maybe seeing something about God and and what you see is not quite what uh, you thought God was like. That experience can be both positive and negative, can't it? I remember uh, as a student uh, reading the Bible for the very first time and and thinking really it would have nothing to say to me and realizing that Jesus' words were incredibly profound, that they impacted me personally in a very deep way. But other times it can be more negative. Perhaps you read the Bible and you come across some of Jesus' words and he's calling you to live in a way or, or think in a way that frankly you don't like. It goes against the flow of what others Around you do. Well, how do you react? Are you put off by him? Or maybe it's Jesus' kindness that worries you. You see how he offers forgiveness to all people. Anyone who comes to him freely, he will wash away their sins and forgive. And you think that through and you realize that means that even the worst sinner, the worst murderer, the worst uh terrorist can be forgiven. And you think, I'm not sure that that's quite right. I'm not sure I want to follow a king like that. Or maybe it's not Jesus uh, that's unsettling you. It may be your own life. Maybe you became a Christian, you decided to make Jesus your king, and you're expecting life to be one way, and frankly, it's been very different. It's been a struggle. It's been uh, a series of disappointments. And you've begun to wonder, is Jesus really a good king? Can you trust him as your king? Well, our passage this morning speaks into those kind of situations. And Jesus would urge us in these words not to be put off by him. If your Christian life is not as you expected, he'd encourage us to keep coming to him, listening to him and following him as our king. We're picking up. Uh, the series we've been going through in Matthew. For the last month, we've been away uh, elsewhere doing this series of tough questions, but we pick up where we left off, and if you can cast your your mind back five or six weeks, you'll remember that Jesus was instructing his disciples how to go out uh, to carry on his mission of preaching and teaching the kingdom of heaven. And uh, having finished instructing the disciples, we see Jesus here in verse 1 going out to preach and teach in the towns of Galilee. And this section really falls into three parts. And in each part, the spotlight shines on a different person. First, it shines on Jesus. And we see that Jesus is God's king. Then in the second part, uh, verses 7 to 15, it shines on John the Baptist. And Jesus shows us that John is the prophet who prepares the way for Jesus the king. And in the last section, in verses 16 to the end, the spotlight shines on us. And it asks us the question, will we be put off by Jesus the king? Will we be put off by Jesus the king or will we follow him? Well, let's look first at verses 1 to 6. And we see that Jesus is God's king. It begins with a question from John. That is John the Baptist. We met John back in chapter 3. And John preached a message of repentance i 'm just laughing because somebody sneezed, and it was the quietest sneeze i 've ever heard <laughs> in contrast to my loud sneeze a few weeks ago back in three uh, back in chapter three, John the Baptist um, Uh, was introduced to us and he preaches a message of repentance and the people were to be baptized as a sign of the genuineness of their repentance and you remember that Jesus himself was baptized by John and the heavens opened and and the dove descended and it was a sign that he was the Messiah the Christ God's king well now John has been put back uh, John has been put in prison by Herod in just a little while he's going to be beheaded and uh having heard all these things in prison that Jesus is doing, John sends his disciples to ask Jesus this question. Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And I think this is a genuine question of John's. He's asking, are you really the Christ? Are you really God's king? And there's a sense that John is worried. He's not completely certain. Now, that's not entirely surprising, It's not entirely surprising that John would have this question because Jesus is not doing exactly what John expected. John, if you remember, preached a very strong message as he called people to repent. Just hear a couple of verses from chapter three. John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. See what John's saying? When God's king comes, he'll purge Israel of their evil, and it will be a time of great judgment. He'll burn away the chaff. It's a very vivid and powerful image, isn't it? Well, Jesus has come, but he hasn't come in judgment. Now, he has been purifying Israel. He's been calling people back to himself, urging them to follow God with all their hearts. But judgment hasn't come. And we know from elsewhere that judgment will come, but not yet. And John seems to have been thinking that judgment will come at the same time as Jesus comes or or, or when God's king comes. And so because because Jesus hasn't brought judgment, John worries, are you really God's king? Or should we expect someone else? And no doubt this is compounded by John's situation. John thought that the Christ, the king, would purge evil. And yet here is John languishing in Herod's prison because he challenged Herod's morality. And he thinks, if you're the Christ, why am I in this prison? In short, the Christian life is not what I expected. Now, I should say, a number of commentators question whether John is really doubting. They say, well, he can't really be doubting. He's asking this question for the sake of his disciples so that they can hear John's answer. And as far as I can see, their motivation in saying that is because they're a little bit embarrassed by the thought of John doubting. How could this great prophet, John, who preached so boldly and with such conviction, doubt that Jesus is God's king? But I think rather than that be an embarrassment to us, it should be a great comfort that even John the Baptist, even one of God's great prophets, had questions and doubts. So if we have worries. If we have doubts, it shouldn't surprise us. May well be that there are some here this morning who look at their situations and think it's not what I expected as I followed Jesus. We look at the Bible and we think this is not what I expected Jesus would ask me to do. And we're a bit surprised, and we have questions. And John would encourage us to ask them, to come to Jesus and ask them. And you see, that's exactly what John does. He doesn't kind of ponder them in his heart. He doesn't become introspective and look within for the answer. He doesn't just talk to those around him. No, he sends to Jesus and asks what Jesus has to say. And in the same way, we should come to Jesus in the words of this book. And ask him. And we can do that freely. Well, in verse 4, we have Jesus' reply. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Remarkable things are happening, says Jesus. God is transforming people's lives. But more than just point to these remarkable things, Jesus provides a comment on them. Because Jesus' words are a paraphrase of some words from the prophet Isaiah. We we won't turn them up, but for your notes, if you'd like to look at them afterwards, they're in Isaiah 35, verses 3 to 5, and in Isaiah 61, verse 1. And Jesus kind of summarizes those, paraphrases those, and his point is this. These are not just random wonders. They're not just random acts of kindness, but these are things that were prophesied of the time when God's king would come. What is happening is exactly what the Bible said would happen. And it's such an important lesson, I think, for us. It's good to have questions, but we should look into the Bible, particularly if our questions come because we think our expectations aren't met. If we think, in that situation, God isn't doing what I thought he should. Now, if God isn't doing what he said he would do, if God isn't being faithful to his word, then that would be a major reason for doubt. God should do what he said he would do. But it could also be that what we expected, what we thought God would be like, what we thought the Christian life would be like, isn't actually what God says it will be. Our expectations are out of kilter with God's word. And we need to come and check in the Bible. It may be that our view of Jesus is wrong. It may be that what we thought the Christian life would be like isn't what God says. But as we wrestle with this in the Bible, we see a Jesus who is perfect, a king who is perfect, who is greater than we could imagine. There are certain things we we maybe imagine. We think life would be better if Jesus didn't ask me to do that. Or if Jesus would allow me to live in a certain way, then perhaps life would be better. But actually, everything Jesus says is for our good. If he forbids something to us, it's not because he's unkind. It's because it's for our good. And as we look into this book and see what Jesus calls us, it may take some time as we wrestle to see why he's saying it. But this king and this kingdom is for our very best, even if at first look, it's not what we'd hope for, not what we feel like in any moment. Well, Jesus says, verse six, blessed is the one who does not fall away or, or stumble on account of me. It's a word, I think, that in the first instance is meant for John, but it's a word for all of us. Because the Bible is clear that many will fall away on account of Jesus. He's not what they expected. He's not what they think they need. Some people will say, I'm happy with the idea of Jesus the teacher. Love your neighbor as yourself. I like that idea. But I don't want Jesus the savior. And they say that because they don't believe what Jesus says about our sins being our biggest problem. And so people stumble over Jesus' claim. Remember in my own life, as I began to look into this book, I was happy with the idea that Jesus died for my sins. I was happy with the idea that Jesus rose from the dead, that the evidence of the Bible drove me to that conclusion. But I couldn't believe that Jesus was one day going to return as king and judge the world. It just seemed a little bit silly. It seemed kind of defying reason. And I remember I nearly stumbled. And actually, that's exactly what the Bible says. And rather than being silly, it's essential. It deals with the very problem that John is stumbling over. That is the time when God's king will bring judgment, when he restores his kingdom to this world in all of its fullness. But I was in danger of stumbling because I wanted Jesus to be the way I wanted him, a Jesus I was comfortable with, who fit my image, rather than Jesus as he revealed himself. Well, friends, if you've been taken Aback by something in the scriptures. If your circumstances have surprised you, don't stumble, don't fall away over Jesus. Do go back to him and ask your questions. Maybe that you need to get somebody else and say, Help me look into this, help me understand this. But don't stumble because Jesus' claim is huge and wonderful. He's God's king, and his way, his kingdom is glorious. And if we don't fall away, it's the path to great blessing. Well, as John's disciples head off, Jesus turns to talk about John. He addresses the crowd and he turns the spotlight on John the Baptist. And he says, John is the prophet who prepares the way for Jesus, the king. Then you know what your mental image of John is. A, we saw in, in this spot, didn't we? Kind of slightly odd-looking guy. He's even odder than that. He Dressed in, in camel's hair, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And for a long time, I think my image of John was as a kind of mystic in the desert. And he's sort of a solitary figure, and he's, he's in the desert on his own, maybe with one or two followers, and, and just a bit of an oddball. But that's not the Bible's picture of John. He certainly is in, in the desert, uh, in an inaccessible place near the River Jordan, but he's not on his own. We're told that the whole countryside comes out to him. John's a kind of celebrity, he's a massive deal. Everyone flocks to him, even though he's in the middle of nowhere. Well, Jesus says to the crowd, verse seven, what did you go into the desert to see? Now just in passing, Galilee is quite a long way away from where John did his baptizing. So Jesus, as he speaks to this crowd, and assumes that some of them have gone gone out to see John. These guys will have gone for five or six days to see John. He's such a big deal that people made that journey. Well, Jesus says, what did you go and see? Not a reed swaying in the wind. You certainly didn't make the journey just for the scenery. Nor did you go out for somebody finely dressed. He's not a kind of paragon of the elite. Those people are in palaces. John's an oddball dressed in camel's hair if you want a model of cultural luxury you don't go to John no what did you go to see you went to see a prophet and more than a prophet because Jesus is uh, sorry John is the long-awaited prophet who prepares the way for the king look at verse 10 this is the one about whom it was written in Malachi 3 I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you now I guess to many of us, the book of Malachi is not particularly familiar. But if you've got your Bible open, you can flick back 10 or so pages, and you can see the last book in the Old Testament is this book of Malachi. It's the last prophetic word for 400 years. For 400 years, God didn't speak. But he left the Old Testament on a climax, on a a kind of cliffhanger. He promised that one day God himself would appear, but first would come a messenger. And the people of Israel have been waiting 400 years for this time. And the very last but one verse in that book says, I will send before you the prophet Elijah who will come on the day the Lord comes. And then Jesus says in Matthew Matthew 11 verse 14, if you're willing to accept it, John is the Elijah who was to come. Do you see what he's saying? You've been waiting 400 years and that day has come. Verse 13, all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. They all were waiting for the Lord to come. And now John has come, the last prophet. And so here is the king. The kingdom has arrived. And John's a big deal because he points to Jesus. But look at these remarkable words of verse 11. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's an extraordinary thing to say, isn't it? Greater than Solomon, greater than David, greater than Moses is John the Baptist. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Isn't that an extraordinary thing to say? Mm -hmm. John's a massive deal because he welcomes the king. But now God's king has come. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus is greater than than john now he's not saying john's not a believer or that john won't be in heaven but john belongs to a different age he didn't have the privilege of seeing the kingdom of heaven come in its fullness when jesus dies and rises again john is already dead when jesus sends his spirit on his people john is already dead but those crowds that jesus is speaking to they see this and experience it We have seen Jesus in his glory. We have experienced it. And if we trust in Jesus as our king, we are privileged to be greater than John. If you are part of the kingdom of heaven, if you're a Christian, you may not feel very significant. You may not think that your life is of much importance. But you are part of the greatest movement in history. You are a member of God's kingdom. You know the king of the universe. You know him personally and intimately. You are greater than John. And one day this kingdom will be revealed in all of its glory. Now, verse 12, it's Mm -hmm. despised, it's subject to violence. But all of history is moving to a climax where this kingdom will be established publicly, visibly. And you, friend, if you follow Jesus are part of it but do you see Jesus' punchline verse 15 he who has ears to hear let him hear, it's really similar to verse 6 isn't it, where Jesus says bless is the person who doesn't stumble or fall away on account of me and do you see again, some people will hear this and Mm -hmm. think it's too fantastic and so they won't listen to the king but Jesus says don't do that Listen, because all that God has said in the Old Testament has come to pass. The prophet has come, the king has come, and soever accepts the king's invitation is blessed, blessed beyond our imagination as we're welcomed into the kingdom. But as we finish, the question is how will we respond? How will you respond? Will we have ears to hear the king? In the last section, verses 16 to 19, Jesus turns the spotlight on us. First, he he turns it really on his own generation. But through them, he shines the spotlight on us. And the question is, will we be wise and listen to God's king? Or will we reject him? Jesus issues a remarkable rebuke to the people of his day, doesn't he? Verse 16 To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge for you and you didn't mourn. Now, some of you will have sulky kids. I'm told that that's a kind of difficult thing to have. I don't know that from my own experience. My kids are never sulky. You're supposed to laugh there. No laughs. There we are. There we go. And the thing with sulky kids, though, is they're never happy, are they? Uh, you can offer them the greatest thing, the thing they actually want, and they still sulk. And so Jesus is picturing kids, I think, in the the marketplace, and some of them want to play weddings. And so they play the, the wedding tune, but the sulky kids refuse to join in. So they begin to play a funeral tune, and still their friends won't cooperate. And that's just like sulky kids. Offer them something good, and they still sulk. And Jesus says this generation sulks because God doesn't do what they want them to do. When John came, he fasted and, they li- and he lived the restrictive life, and people wrote him off. They said he has a demon. We don't want that. He's too strict. And so Jesus came and he did exactly the opposite. He didn't fast. He ate and he drank, and people said he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He's too soft. And so they wrote him off. And you see the point? They stumbled over both. God's messenger came, God's king came, but he's not what people wanted, he's not what people expected. And so they rejected him. And it's very striking because it tells us something profound about human nature, about how we are. I don't know about you, but I kind of think if I see the truth, if you can show me that something's true, I'll believe it. King Jesus, tell me what to do in your word and I'll do it. And this reminds us we can have the truth. We can have God's greatest prophet speak to us. We can have God's king speak clearly to us but we can refuse to listen. And it's not because the teaching is not good, but it's because it's not what we want. We may use many different ways of justifying our conclusions. We may have very sophisticated ways of, of avoiding it, but what it boils down to is, I'll be the judge of what I think is best, and if it doesn't meet that standard, I won't do it. I'm the judge, not God, not his king, but me. And it's very offensive, But Jesus says, when we're like that, we're like sulky kids who are offered something wonderful, and yet they still sulk. And the tragedy is, God's king is offering us the most wonderful thing in the world. The greatest blessing in the world, a welcome into his kingdom, the end of our sins, a promise of life that never ends. That when we die, it's not the end. We're ushered into the presence of his heavenly father to experience joy inexpressible. That now we would walk with Jesus as our king under his care and protection. But so many reject it because it's not what we expected. Because we look around and we think, I know better, I know a better way. And we think we can do without God's king. Well, Jesus ends with this line. Wisdom is proved right by her actions. And the question is, friends, do our actions, do your actions prove that you're wise? Because if you're wise, Jesus would say, you listen to God's king. You might have doubts, you might have questions, but you take them to the king like John does. You don't stumble or fall away on account of of Jesus, rather you receive his blessing. And friend, if that's you this morning... If you're following King Jesus, then take heart. Trust him. Even when life seems strange, even when his word seems perplexing, trust him because he's a good king. But others will stumble and fall away. They'll be like fickle children, never satisfied with what God says, refusing to hear, and in that attitude of refusing to listen, that action of refusing to listen, that person shows that they're not wise because they stumble over the king. Well, Jesus urges us, pleads with us this morning, do not stumble, but listen. Listen to me and follow me that you might receive my blessing. Well, friends, let's pray that each one of us may be wise, that God may give us ears to hear, to listen and not fall away on Jesus' account. Let's pray together. Father, give us ears to hear that we might follow Jesus. We pray for those who have questions and thoughts. We pray, take, help them to take them to your word, that you might answer them. Give them people they can discuss with and look into your word together. But Father, help us to see those areas of our life where what you call us to, what you ask of us isn't what we expect, maybe what we think we don't like, And help us to see that you are a good king. That even if it doesn't match our expectations, it is for our good. That you, the way you have revealed yourself, are perfect. And help us to look into your word and rejoice and listen and accept this wonderful blessing of a king. We ask it in Jesus' name.